It is 7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, 3 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1972. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Ugh. I gotta get rid of that. I had a <clears throat> cough drop in my mouth. Yeah. Ugh, that was awful. It's like they try and do this menthol thing and then they put cherry in it to give it a flavor. <clears throat> it just winds up tasting like crap. So, <laughs> yes, lovely. The first world problems of Jay Sheldon. <laughs> oh man, welcome in. Thank you for uh, for viewing on uh, <clears throat> Facebook Live, on YouTube, YouTube slash Jay Sheldon Malaysia. Please subscribe. I really, really beg you. Even if you're watching on Twitch.tv or on Facebook, <clears throat> if you wouldn't mind, open a new window, go to YouTube slash J. Sheldon Malaysia and click on that subscribe button. I'd need to get my subscribers up on YouTube. It helps a lot and it's free for you. It doesn't cost a dime. You want to hit the notification bell? That, that'd be good too, but at least hit the subscribe button on, uh, on YouTube. Crystal Violin. Hey. Ah, oh, man. She says, hey, Jay, life's been busy lately, but my stomach isn't being nice to me. So it feels nice to chill here. <laughs> well, I'm glad you picked our show to chill with, and we're happy to chill with you. Uh, Going to be mostly chill tonight. A couple things are not very chill, but... <clears throat> We're not going to say much about them. We're just going to present them and move on like we always do. So we don't get ourselves in trouble because sadly here, the one big freedom that you used to have in the U.S. and we have rarely, if never had here, is the freedom of speech. And it's just getting worse. Sarge, hello there. It's going very well. Sarge 4K001, nice to have you in the uh, in the stream. Good to see you along for the ride. And uh, it is uh, it's reasonable. Can't complain about the weather here in Malaysia. It's been okay. Uh, hot as always, but hot's hot. It's relative, you know. It's always hot. So what? Uh, it's been livable. And it is time. She was just here. Now I think she left. But it's time. Where's my mouse? There it is. Time for this. Miko update. <laughs> yes, it is time for <clears throat> Miko update. If you don't know, Mika is our Shiba Inu dog. Her full name is Ichiko Mikoto. We call her Miko. And this isn't her. <laughs> However... <laughs> I did want to share this because it is too precious. I, <laughs> this is an onigiri, uh, which is a Japanese rice cake. It's made with rice, 
and it is just the coolest thing. Check this out. They've taken here. Let me let me go back to the single shot. There we go. They've taken and I assume that's probably soy sauce. And um, <clears throat> they've used uh, seaweed for the eyes, the nose and the mouth and the little fingernails down below. Check that out. How cool is that? Look at that. There's another angle here. This is this is made with rice. This is so cool. It's like a, yeah, rice dog. <laughs> it's like a little Miko. She's doing well. The cat stopped by. A matter of fact, we left the front door open while we were having dinner tonight. And as we're sitting there, Miko, of course, is on the floor looking up with the puppy dog eyes. Are you going to feed me something? But what we ate tonight, she couldn't have any of. So sadly, she got disappointed. I know you shouldn't feed her from the table, but we spoil her. So there you go. And uh, Miko, are you out there? Nah, she's in the air con. Um, <laughs> anyway, so as we look over, the Siamese cat, the neighbor's cat, just comes walking in the house again. But Miko was so fixated on waiting for us to drop some food or give her something. She didn't even see the cat. I'm like, Miko, look, your friend's in the house. She's like, feed me. So <laughs> she, she doesn't care. When food is involved, nuclear bombs could go off and she could care less. <laughs> I don't know how, but she could. Mm. Hey, by the way, if you go to twitch.tv under J. Sheldon, no pants, you go to the about page. You can find this. Where am I? Here. You find this. This is Miko Merchandise. It's got our show logo on the back. If you're listening, by the way, on our podcast, which is just the audio portion, go to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants, and you can see all the, the whole show with the video. <clears throat> anyway, our Miko mug, we got a Miko mouse pad, we got Miko t-shirts, hoodies, baseball caps, all kinds of cools, even cheap stickers for a couple of bucks, so... There you go. And of course, and I'm only going to plug this once, maybe twice, uh, patreon.com slash Sheldon if you'd like to support the show. Patreon.com slash Sheldon. You can sign up for a one-time thing or a monthly uh, subscription, and it really does help. Every penny helps to support the show, and we appreciate it. Um, yeah, so... Lots of things going on in the world, including um, people getting vaccinated, people who cannot be vaccinated for medical reasons, people who choose not to be vaccinated, and the people who make fun of those people who choose not to be vaccinated. Um, and I'm not going to make much of a comment. There is a visual on the screen right now, which is um, quite interesting, and uh, I thought I would share that with you. Um, it's from James Robertson. Uh, yes, there you go. Um, so comply, comply, comply. Um, the Borg wants you to comply. <clears throat> I love this because in the U.S., things are changing so rapidly and the freedoms you once had, they are doing their damnedest to try and take them away. Um, what people say, the questions, are we allowed to ask questions anymore? Can we do that? Can we ask questions? In some cases, apparently not. But this said a lot. It's from Richard Fenman, who said, I would rather have questions that can't 
be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Mmm, deep, very deep, but very significant in the world we live in today. Yes, indeed. Comply, comply, comply. <clears throat> oh, here's another good one. Another fascinating little story about the mouse and the jar of rice. You may have heard it before, but um, yeah, we have a rice theme going tonight, don't we? <laughs> it's from uh, Anthony Ramirez. Yeah, very deep crystal. <clears throat> a mouse was placed at the top of a jar filled with grains of rice, and it was so happy to find so much food around him that he no longer felt the need that he had to go run and search for food. Now he could happily live out his life. But after a few days of enjoying the grains, he finally reached the bottom of the jar and suddenly realized he was trapped. He could not get out of the jar. And he now had to fully depend on someone putting grains in the jar if he was going to survive. Suddenly, he realized this lesson. Short-term pleasures can lead to long-term traps. There's analogies all over the place here. I hope you're getting it. Short-term pleasures can lead to long-term traps. If things come easy and you get comfortable, you are getting trapped into dependency. When you're not using your skills, you'll lose more than your skills. You lose your choices and your freedoms. And freedom does not come easy, but it can be lost very quickly. Nothing comes easy in life, and if it comes easy, well, then maybe it's not worth it. Don't curse your struggles. Embrace them. They are your blessings in disguise. Don't wind up being dependent. Yes, Crystal, exactly right. Money and winning aren't everything. You are, in fact, last show, last stream on uh, Monday, I had a great uh, bit of writing, as we share often here, about how winning isn't everything. It's not in the winning. It's in the doing. I know right now we're all wishing for Olympic gold for our respective com uh, countries. Um, I've got a story coming up that's going to break your heart and make you proud and maybe tear up a little bit about an amazing story from the Olympics. Um, but, you know, here in Malaysia, we're cheering for the Malaysian team. We did win a bronze. Our bicyclists, the pocket rocket and his teammate, qualified, I believe, today. And uh, they move on. I don't follow the Olympics that much, so I don't know exactly how the qualifying rounds and competitions are leveled. But we're moving forward, so that's a good thing. And we have a real good chance to get another medal in the, uh, in the bicycles. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Wow. <clears throat> All right. So that's our mouse thing. We wanted to share that tonight. Um, a story showed up today on World of Buzz. And 
before I share this, there is a distinction which I'm not frankly all that comfortable with. I'm considered an expat, which basically stands for expatriate. I wasn't born here. I'm not a citizen here. I stay here under the good graces of the immigration department, to which I am eternally grateful. And I contribute to society. I pay my taxes. Every penny I earn is spent right back into the economy of Malaysia. I don't send money overseas or back home to my family. Everything I make goes right back into the economy here and I spend it. Um, so I am, as best I can be, a contributing member of Malaysian society. Uh, I'd love to be a citizen, absolutely. It's just impossible in this country to get that. But um, anyway, that's off the subject. Um, there are expats, and then there are foreign workers. And honestly, they're no different. The big difference really is likely in how much money you make, the type of jobs that you have. For example, I'm among many hundreds of others considered a professional in my line of work. I've been doing this for 40 over years now, so I've got gobs of experience and education, and I share that with the Malaysians, gratefully and gladly. In fact, I've taught, uh, done uh, presentations in a lot of uh, colleges here on uh, the broadcast business, film, television, radio, and I, I love doing that. I love sharing my experiences and giving people little tips and tricks and ways to get ahead and things to look out for, and I've kept up on the business as best I can. You know how much it's changed in the last 40 years? A lot. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, yeah, Crystal, just to get back to the, uh, I, you know what, let me save your, your comment for the Olympics when we get to it. So anyway, I saw this story in the world of buzz, and it really just bugged the hell out of me. So now that I've set up the differences between, say, an expat and a foreign worker, um, we have a nasty, nasty habit of treating our foreign workers here in Malaysia very badly. This is an article from the World of Buzz that came out today. What if they were your family? A PPV volunteer calls out for Malaysians' mistreatment uh, of foreign workers. And I've seen this firsthand, and I'll tell you, it disgusts me. Um, these are people. These are human beings. They are building your bridges. They're building your skyscrapers. They are doing the work that you don't want to do, and yet you continue to treat them, in some cases, worse than dogs. And honestly, it's just got to stop. Um, it's an article on World of Buzz. I don't want to read the whole thing for you. Um, we are a melting pot here in Malaysia of cultures, races, religion. Uh, but for some reason, it says there still seems to be a lack of empathy and compassion when it comes to to foreign workers, especially those from Asia. Um, read this article, get upset about it, and the next time you see a foreign worker, think about what if they were your family. And I'll tell you what, it leads itself right into the next story I found, strangely enough, just minutes ago as I was getting ready for the show, 
a Malaysian couple have been showcased on Australian TV for allegedly lying to border control officers. Again, a story from World of Buzz. Sorry about the neighbor's dogs barking in the background. Uh, and this basically says that um, once they're here, they don't go back. If you're a Malaysian who's tried to visit Australia before the pandemic hit, could now forget it, uh, you will understand how difficult it is to get your visa approved. And it is. Um, one of the problems is that Malaysians have been categorized as one of the largest groups of illegal immigrants in Australia. A video recently surfaced on social media showcasing a scene from an Australian reality TV program called Border Security, Australia's front line, where a Malaysian couple can be seen allegedly lying to Australian border forces about their visit into the country. The couple have arrived at Avalon Airport in Victoria, claimed to be in Australia for a seven-day holiday, but Border Force wants to know more about their trip. Uh, the officer can be seen asking them general questions. Is this your first time in Australia? What brings you to Australia? The couple apparently were there for their honeymoon, which is understood to be 10 years after their marriage. Unconvinced by their reasons, the officer decides to interview the couple separately to see if their stories match, and almost immediately, officers found mistakes in their explanations. Both husband and wife gave different dates as to when they were married, among other things. But um, again, read the article. It's on worldofbuzz.com. And uh, <clears throat> that's actually as much, <laughs> as much of an issue that... Uh, Malaysians have been categorized, categorized as one of the largest groups of illegals in Australia. How scary is that? It's not something you think about. But again, relate that to the previous story I just did and think about that. The headline of the other story was, what if it were your family? Well, in some cases, when it comes to Australia, it just might be. So something to think about, my friends. All right, let's move on from the heavy news into the amazing news. But before we do that, Crystal says, I pray that when I'm old enough, I move to Malaysia, the problems would have faded away. Well, I can tell you that in, what, 40 or 50 years or 60 years? <sighs> Not yet. <clears throat> okay, I promised you some good news, and I got some good news. Uh, a couple of amazing stories out of the Olympics, and this just, this is incredible. You may have seen this, but two Olympic high jumpers, you know the high jump, they run with the pole and then they dig it in and they flip themselves over that bar, which is an insane amount of meters up in the air. Two Olympic high jumpers, there's a video here, but there's just music. So I will read you the captions as it plays. Uh, they gave gold-worthy performances at the Tokyo Olympics. Check this out. This is absolutely incredible. And they decided that they both deserved the gold medal. Qatar's Mutaz Ezra Bersham and Italy's Gianmarco Tamburi both had high jumps. They each attempted to beat their, their record and cleared the 2.39 meter but failed on their first try. 
Now, they could have gone into a jump-off to determine the winner, but instead, Barsham asked an official to come over, and he asked them a question, can we have two golds? The official said yes, and Tamburni began running around the statement in excitement. He suffered an ankle injury ahead of the Rio Olympics, and a doctor told him he might not be ready to compete in the 2020 Games. However, he recovered in time. Tambiri triumphantly held up his old cast. <laughs> He'd written The Road to Tokyo 2020 on it, and then crossed out 2020 and wrote in 2021. Uh, Bersham, the other uh, com competitor, broke down in tears when the official told them they could split the medal and both get a gold. Bersham had also suffered an ankle injury in 2018, which deepened the bond between the two athletes who had met during the 2010 World Junior Championships. How about that? The men sobbed and embraced each other after both of them decided to not have a jump off and to share the gold medal. Bershon said it was a dream he did not want to wake up from. That is amazing. Wow. <laughs> That's the kind of story that just warms your heart. That's fantastic. And congratulations to both of them. They are both gold medal winners. Uh, Crystal says, waiting for Su Ling to use her black belt in the Olympics. Oh, really? Who is Su Ling? You have to explain that to me. She also said the word friendship about this story. You'll see that on our video screen there. Yeah, that's amazing. Incredible. <clears throat> what a great, great story. And to top that, I had no idea this. You see, I didn't watch the opening ceremonies. I probably should have. I mean, it's Japan after all. You know what a crazy Japanophile I am. Uh, this is from Tripzilla.com. Uh, hat tip to Tripzilla. You can check out the uh, whole article over there. Japan has created a kimono for every nation at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. In 2017, a Japanese international outreach organization called Imagine One World launched the Kimono Project. It aimed to create a kimono for every country in the world, which would also reflect the nation's culture, history, architectural beauty. Japan had planned to use the kimonos for the Olympics in Tokyo, but couldn't push through with it due to the limitations brought about by the pandemic. However, the project was indeed completed, and now there are over 200 custom-made kimonos to admire for every country. And these are some of the favorites. Check this out. This is amazing. If you're listening on the podcast, trust me, you must go to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants and check the visual out because these are incredible kimonos. They're all handmade, and they each represent 
the country for which they were designed. For example, here's Singapore with the lion, the merlion, and the, uh, what is this, orchids? <clears throat> Singapore skyline. This is a kimono, folks. Malaysia. Yes. Check this out. Here is the kimono for Malaysia. We got little, little hints of the Malaysian flag in there. We've got some butterflies. We've got hibiscus, our national flower. Um, all these amazing, amazing bits and pieces. Uh, it was in, made in collaboration with students from the Fukuoka Prefectural Kurube High School. Uh, they, a lot of Malaysian symbols. The Patronus twin, twin Towers are there. Yeah, they're worth millions. You're exactly right, Crystal. I think you're right. They, they're, they're invaluable, really. The Malaysian flag, 40 students also drew the national hibiscus flowers, while the coloring took inspiration from traditional batik. So cool to have combined the, the batik with a kimono. That's kind of the Malaysia-Japanese thingy going on there. That's absolutely amazing. Indonesia, look at this. The entire kimono, uh, colored like the Indonesian flag with the red and the white, but also some batik in here. Um, beautiful. This kimono is absolutely beautiful. Look at that. It features Borobudur and the Indonesian islands. Uh, incredible. Philippines, oh, look at the colors on this one. This is absolutely beautiful. Oh, I love that. I have, um, I have in my collection about eight or ten uh, very, very old uh, handmade kimonos in different styles. And uh, in my living room downstairs, I always have one hanging up on display like this on the wall with lights. And uh, I change it up about once a month or so. But... Um, they're beautiful. This, this is amazing. Look at that. And just scan through. Look, there's Thailand. Thailand's is great. Look at that. All on a black background. Uh, animals throughout the garden showered canvas inspired by Thai culture. A guardian animal said to look after each day of the week. There's the snake. There's an elephant. Another elephant. Uh... I want to say Kinaburi, but I'm not sure the name of this. I, I'm probably mistaken. This uh, this particular Thai bird, they just it goes on and on. Look at India. India's is beautiful. The U.S. also with the American eagle, U.S. flag, map of the U.S. stretched across the kimono. This is incredible. They just go on and on. I can't spend much more time on this, but yeah, they're. Absolutely invaluable. This is New Zealand. It's tripzilla.com if you want to check out. They have, they don't have all 200, but they've got a, a ton of them here on their, uh, on their page. That's incredible. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Uh, a couple more things to get through uh, that we wanted to talk about tonight. Hey, one fish is called a fish. What do you call two or three or four? Fish or fishes? Now, I've had this argument with people before. It's not really an argument. There is a definitive answer. Fish is both singular and plural. 
One fish is a fish. Ten of them are fish. But there is an exception. Yeah, a school of fish, not a school of fishes. I have always, this is one of those old Jay learned something new today. Because it is acceptable to use the word fishes. And here's when. When a group of fish consists of more than one species of fish, you can use fishes as plural. What? Seriously, I spent my whole life saying there's no such thing as fishes. It's fish. If there's one or a hundred, it's still fish. But that's not exactly true. It is acceptable to use the word fishes as plural if you have, if you have let's say, a school of, of trout and a school of herring mixed up together. Those are fishes. Weird, huh? <laughs> it's okay, Crystal. Take your bathroom break. <laughs> I, I had no idea. The old man learned something new tonight. Never stop learning, folks. Never stop learning. All right. Uh, we got one more, two more, two more. All right. We'll do two more, and then we'll get to the book. <laughs> we bought a new vacuum about, how long have we had our vacuum? Six months? Five months? Five, six, seven months ago. And we decided to go with an off-brand cordless vacuum. I'm telling you, this thing is amazeballs. It is incredible. Seriously, this is the most incredible vacuum. It's very quiet. The charge lasts for the whole house. And I've got like a one, two, three, four bedroom, three bath house. So it's a pretty good sized house. And it's absolutely amazing. It's sucking power is over the top. Makes hardly any noise. Miko's not afraid of it. In fact, Miko will let me vacuum her with this vacuum. So it does a fantastic job. And it weighs, I don't know, maybe a couple of kilos, if that. When I saw this, I had to share this because you compare what I just described. I don't forget what the brand is. <clears throat> we bought it online. I forget, it was under 200 bucks, I think. Vacuums in Malaysia, by the way, are not cheap. A branded backroom, a vacuum in this country will cost you hundreds, if not thousands of ringgit. Anyway, check this out. <laughs> this is a Siemens vacuum cleaner from 1906. I can't zoom in anymore for you. Sorry about that. But this thing... 1906. Look at the hang on. Let me get back. Look, let me get my mouse back. Look at this thing. It plugged in, apparently. There's some giant wall socket over there. If you're listening to the podcast, rumble.com slash J Sheldon No Pants. This in ginormous thing here, which is on a, a big cart with huge wheels, apparently, then the hose attached, and this looks like the maid vacuuming the carpet. The weight of this machine, 140 
seven kilos. Can you imagine? 147 kilos for a vacuum cleaner in 1906. That is insane. <laughs> imagine lugging that thing up and down the stairs. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, let's save Christmas with the clauses for some, some other day. Okay, just before we get into our book, I've said it a million times. I'll briefly say it again. Part of what we do about the end of this show, the last half of the show, is to encourage you to read, to read books, and most importantly, to encourage your kids to read. Because whether your kids are actually holding the book in their hands, having a tablet with an ebook attached, or listening to audiobooks like the ones we do on this show, and the ones which are, by the way, available only the book portion of our show, chapter by chapter, on uh, patreon.com slash Sheldon. You can sign up for a level there where it will give you exclusive access to all the books that we've done, which are edited out of the show, and you just have the audiobooks. They're there. I mean, the video's there too, but it's just the books uh, by the chapters as we read them. From The Wizard of Oz, The Velveteen Rabbit... Uh, the Little Prince, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, they're all there. And the Jungle Book will be there once we get done reading it. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to share this because we've talked about it before. It's, it's a, a movement that's underway in the U.S. called the Little Free Library. And the idea is that you create, let me show you the picture. You create these little, little doghouse looking things with a glass front door. You can actually be inventive and find something that will work. Just stick it on a stake. And you'll see it here. They've got little roof and they've designed it up. And inside they've put books. And basically, the, you just label it little free books. Leave one and take one. Uh, people can come, kids, adults, stop by, grab a book. It's free. And it's basically sharing your books with whoever wants a book to read. And people can also leave a book in your little free library. But check out what this person's done. Where they've put the post and they've put the uh, the little free library on top. In the bottom, they put a giant container and planted herbs. And they left a little pair of scissors. So you can not only have a book... You can snip some herbs and take them home. That is the coolest idea. It just takes it to another level. Uh, planted some herbs at the base of her little free library and plans to put a pair of scissors out so the neighbors can take some. That's the sweetest thing. That is so cool. Such a, such a great idea. You should start that in your neighborhood. <clears throat> start up a, a little free library. Why not? Damn good idea. I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Uh, yeah, it's time. It's time. It's time to uh, move on over to the Jungle Book. We don't need it to be quite that big. Let's just drop this thing down a little bit before it takes over the whole screen. Although that might be better than, you know, looking at my mug. All right. When we last uh, left the Jungle Book, 
we were doing uh, the chapter on Ricky Tiki Tavi, who is the mongoose. Ricky had met the snake, the cobra, and the cobra's wife, and had just missed being snagged by the wife. Uh, so Ricky sat down to think about how he could get the nag, and it was a serious matter for him. So let's continue on with uh, Ricky Tiki and the cobras. If you read the old books of natural history, <clears throat> you'll find they say that when the mongoose fights the snake and happens to get bitten, he runs off and eats some herbs that cures him. That is not true. The victory is only a matter of quickness of eye and quickness of foot. Snakes blow against mongooses jump. And as no eye can follow the motion of a snake's head when it strikes, that makes things much more wonderful than any magic herb. Ricky Ticky knew he was a young mongoose, and it made him all the more pleased to think he'd managed to escape a blow from behind. It gave him confidence in himself, and when Teddy came running down the path, Ricky Ticky was ready to be petted. But... Just as Teddy was stooping, something wriggled a little in the dust, and a tiny voice said, Be careful, I am death. It was Karate, the dusty brown snakeling that lies for choice on the dusty earth, and his bite is as dangerous as the cobra's. But he's so small that nobody thinks of him. And so he does more harm to people. Ricky Ticky's eyes grew red again, and he danced up to Karate with the particular rocking, swaying motion that he'd inherited from his family. It looks very funny, but it is so perfectly balanced a gait that you can fly off from it at any angle you please. And in dealing with snakes, this is an advantage. If Ricky Ticky had only known, he was doing a much more dangerous thing than fighting. Nag. For Karate is so small, he can turn so quickly that unless Ricky bit him close to the back of his head, he would get the return stroke in his eye or his lip. But Ricky did not know. His eyes were all red and he rocked back and forth, looking for a good place to hold. Karate struck out. Ricky jumped sideways and tried to run in, but the wicked little dusty gray head lashed within a fraction of his shoulder, and he had to jump over the body, and the head followed its heels close. Teddy shouted to the house, "'Oh, look here! Our mongoose is killing a snake!' and Ricky Ticky heard a scream from Teddy's mother. His father ran out with a stick, but by the time he came up, Karate had lunged out once too far, and Ricky Ticky had sprung, jumped on the snake's back, dropped his head far between his forelegs, bitten as high up the back as he could get hold, and rolled away. That bite paralyzed Karate and Ricky Ticky was just going to eat him from the tail after the custom of his family at dinner 
when he remembered that a full meal makes a slow mongoose. And if he wanted all of his strength and readiness ready, he must keep himself thin. He went away for a dust bath under a castor oil bush, while Teddy's father beat the dead karate. What is the use of that, thought Ricky Ticky. I've settled it all. And then Teddy's mother picked him up from the dust and hugged him, crying that he had saved Teddy from death. And Teddy's father said he was a providence. And Teddy looked on with big, scared eyes. Ricky Ticky was rather amused at all the fuss, which, of course, he didn't understand. Teddy's mother might just as well have petted Teddy for playing in the dust. Ricky was thoroughly enjoying himself. Well, that night at dinner, walking to and fro among the wine glasses on the table, he might have stuffed himself three times over with nice things, but he remembered Nag and Nagaina, and though it was very pleasant to be petted and patted by Teddy's mother and to sit on Teddy's shoulders, his eyes would get red from time to time and he would go off into his long war cry of Ricky-Ticky-Ticky-Tick. Teddy carried him off to bed and insisted that Ricky-Ticky sleep under his chin. Ricky-Ticky was too well-bred to bite or scratch, but as soon as Teddy was asleep, he went off for his nightly walk around the house. And in the dark, he ran up against... Chuchandra, the muskrat, creeping around by the wall. Chuchandra is a broken-hearted little beast. He whimpers and cheeps all the night, trying to make up his mind to run into the middle of the room, but he never gets there. Don't kill me, said Chuchandra, almost weeping. Ricky Ticky, don't kill me. Do you think a snake-killer kills muskrats? said Rikki-Tikki scornfully. Those who kill snakes get killed by snakes, said Chuchandra, more sorrowfully than ever. How am I to be sure that Nag won't mistake me for you some dark night? Oh, that's not the least danger, said Rikki-Tikki, but Nag is in the garden, and I know you don't go there. My cousin Chua the rat told me, said Chuchandra, and then he stopped. Told you what? Shh! Nag is everywhere. Ricky Ticky, you should have talked to Chua in the garden. I didn't, so you must tell me quick, Chuchandra, or I'll bite you. Chuchandra sat down and cried until tears rolled off his whiskers. I'm a very poor man, he sobbed. I never had spirit enough to run into the middle of the room. I mustn't tell you anything. Can you hear me, Rikki-Tikki? Rikki-Tikki listened. The house was as still as still, but he thought he could just catch the faintest scratch-scratch in the world, a noise as faint as that of a wasp walking on a window pane. The dry scratch of a snake's scales on the brickwork.
that's Nag or Nagaima, he said to himself, and he's crawling into the bathroom sluice. You're right, Chachandra. I should have talked to Twa. He stole off to Teddy's bathroom, but there was nothing there, and then to Teddy's mother's bathroom. At the bottom of the plaster wall, there was a brick pulled out to make a sluice for the bath water. And as Ricky Ticky stolen by the masonry curb where the bath is put, he heard Nag and Nagaima whispering together outside in the moonlight. When the house is empty of people, said Nagaina to her husband, we will go away and then the garden will be our own again. Go in quietly, and remember that the big man who killed Karate is the first one to bite. Then come out and tell me, and we will hunt for Ricky Ticky together. But are you sure there's anything to be gained by killing people? said Nag. Oh, everything. When there's no people in the bungalow, did we have any mongoose in the garden? As long as the bungalow is empty, we are king and queen of the garden. And remember, as soon as our eggs in the melon bed hatch, as they may tomorrow, our children will need room and quiet. Hmm, I hadn't thought of that, said Nag. I will go. There's no need that we should hunt for Ricky Ticky afterward. I will kill the big man and his wife and the child if I can, and come quickly, quietly away. Then the bungalow will be empty, and Ricky Ticky will go. A Ricky Ticky tingled all over with rage and hatred at this, and then Nag's head came through the sluice and his five feet of cold body followed it. Angry as he was, Ricky Ticky was very frightened as he saw the size of the big cobra. Nag coiled himself up, raised his head, and looked into the bathroom in the dark, and Ricky could see his eyes glitter. Now, if I kill him here, Nagaima will know. If I fight him on the open floor, the odds are in his favor. What am I to do? said Ricky Ticky Tavi. Nag waved to and fro, and Ricky Ticky heard him drinking from the biggest water jar that was used to fill the bath. Hmm, that's good, said the snake. Now, when Karate was killed, the big man had a stick. He may have that stick still, but when he comes in to bathe in the morning, he will not have a stick. I shall wait here till he comes, Nagaima. Do you hear me? I shall wait here in the cool until daytime. There was no answer from outside, so Ricky Ticky knew Nagaima had gone away. Nag coiled himself down coil by coil, round the bulge at the bottom of the water jar, and Ricky Ticky stayed still as death. 
an hour after he began to move, muscle by muscle, toward the jar. Nag was asleep. And Ricky Ticky looked at his big back, wondering which would be the best place for a good hold. If I don't break his back at the first jump, said Ricky, he can still fight. And if he fights, oh, ho, ho, Ricky. He looked at the thickness of the neck below the hood, but that was too much for him. And a bite near the tail would only make Nag savage. It must be the head, he said at last, the head above the hood. And when I am once there, I must not let go. The fight is about to begin. And that's where we're going to end it for tonight. In the story of Ricky Tiki Tavi, the mongoose from the Jungle Book. Wow, this is an exciting chapter. I love this one. We'll find out what happens on our next stream, which will come up on uh, on Saturday night. <laughs> That's cool. All right, guys. I'm going to leave you for tonight. Have a great rest of your workday if you're on the other side of the planet. Here in Malaysia and across Southeast Asia, we're just about to head for bed, so. Have a good night. Thank you for joining and listening and watching our podcast listeners. Thank you. YouTube.com slash J Sheldon Malaysia is the channel. Please, 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 if I can ask a big ask, go over there after we're done here and just hit that subscribe button. You'll find all kinds of stuff over there on my channel, but I, I truly would appreciate it if you would give us a subscribe. It's YouTube slash J. Sheldon Malaysia is where you'll find the channel. And thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. We'll see you again Saturday night. Until then, I'm J. Sheldon and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>